Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture. With me, Neil Denny. This week... Tessa Norton and Bob Stanley on the wonderful and frightening world of the fall in their new book, Excavate. Tessa Norton writes regularly about art, books and music for various publications, including The Wire, and for exhibitions and events, including Liverpool Biennial and The Tetley. She published the artist's book, The Fields Here Are Full of Ghosts, with Wising Art Centre in 2019, and she is a Jerwood Arts Fellow at Fat Gallery for 2020-21. And Bob Stanley is the author of Yeah, 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 The Story of Modern Pop, and the forthcoming Too Darn Hot, and he has written for The Guardian, The Times, The Enemy, and The Face. And he's also a filmmaker and a founding member of the group St Etienne and he was writer-in-residence at the British Library in 2017. And Bob and Tessa are both the editors of this wonderful new book, Excavate, The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall, which we're going to talk about today. Bob and Tessa, welcome to Little Atoms. Hi, thanks for having us. Tessa, first of all, I want to talk about what the the idea is behind the book. It's not a biography of the fall or indeed Marquis Smith. It's not like a sort of a linear history or anything. You describe it as an exploration of the wonderful and frightening world of the fall and not that one album, but you can tell me what you mean by the world of the fall. Sure, sure. So the idea for the book came out of um, a conversation we were both having about a hypothetical kind of ideal Fall book because there, you know, there are, there are quite a few books about the group out there already, and they all take different approaches. And you know, there's there's lots of good things about lots of them, but we've kind of felt that there was still, you know, that, that kind of like perfect book in our head would was something that was would take a kind of different approach. So our kind of starting point was that you wouldn't because they weren't a conventional rock group kind of conventional rock journalism rules wouldn't apply. So everything that was that we found really exciting about The Fall, and I think we've both been fans since we were teenagers, was this kind of like worldview that sort of stays with you throughout your life, the way that it all kind of knits together somehow into this kind of like full world of ghost stories and pub anecdotes and shipping containers and contemporary dance and kraut rock and just everything all together kind of becomes something else like a kind of very full way of looking at the world and we thought our ideal book would need to tap into that more than it would need to kind of talk about what session was recorded on what date and you know what guitar someone used or you know all that sort of thing so we wanted to take this kind of like indirect way of writing about kind of different subjects that were part of the fall's world and then bringing in the group into those essays alongside kind of documenting this sort of 
vernacular visual culture they're kind of like the ephemera and the stuff that people collected more than kind of uh like you know glossy portrait photos and stuff because you know we just felt that all that together was was what the the fall was to us so bob tell us how you went about editing and collating the book then approaching the contributors and and as tessa just said collecting that ephemera to feature in it well, the uh, the contributors list sorted itself out pretty quickly because we just thought about who we thought people we knew were big Fall fans who weren't necessarily uh, involved in the world of music at all. So there's Elaine Harwood, who was, uh, when English Heritage was going, she was like head of 20th century architecture at English Heritage. But she's like the biggest Fall fan I know. I mean, she saw them from, I don't know, 1979, every, every single time they played in London. So, uh, yeah, that, that list drew itself up pretty quickly. And almost everybody said yes, which was terrific. For the actual visual material, that was that wasn't too tricky. We went we went through. There's plenty of stuff online, and there's a, there's a lot of people who are you know the keepers of the flame, uh, Conway Patton in New Zealand, and Barry Riley in in Bolton, who have huge collections or have like at least in touch with people with collections. So we, we went via them and, and, and obviously we, we, we really wanted the, the full community because there was a proper thriving fan community. Uh, we wanted them to like the book and to be on side with them as much as we wanted Mark's family to be on side with it and uh, ex-members of the band. So, yes, yeah, so we just spoke to them. There was uh, there's a place in Manchester called the um, Manchester Digital Music Archive or MDMA, as it's cleverly called, and uh, <laughs> they were they, they were really they were really helpful as well. They put us in touch with um, uh, several collectors. It, it, it felt like a lot of the stuff was either abroad or in Greater Manchester, um, which is quite funny. It, there was like nothing in nothing in the South of England at all. And and I want you both of you to have a go at this one. We've obviously said that you know this is not a, a, a biography of the band at all or a history of the band. Uh, you know, a straightforward history of the band. And, you know, the, the book is obviously aimed at people who are familiar with The Fall and are fans of The Fall. But just hypothetically, just for fun, how would you both describe The Fall to somebody who hadn't heard of them, like a teenager or like my mum or something? I feel like we've had to do that quite a lot recently, <laughs> just kind of, you know, explaining to friends or family members kind of what we've just done. Um, and I don't think I give the same answer twice. It seems appropriate. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I don't know. Nothing ever feels adequate. I, I suppose, like, rather than kind of talk about the music, if I'm describing it to a complete stranger, I usually say something like a very strange group with, like, really wild, wide-ranging reference points that would kind of could inspire like whole fields of study in their own right or something like that it's um I think that's that was the kind of the for me the the, the aspect of the fall that kind of inspired the book I suppose and I, I think you know we wanted it to be kind of respectful to you know to Mark's legacy and to the legacy of the group and we said in the introduction you know if there's axes to grind you know none of them are ground here it's like it doesn't we don't want to you know, if other band members absolutely deserve the chance to kind of tell their own story and that's their story to tell. But, you know, this is definitely about kind of the sort of the worldview that it inspires. So that's kind of what I tend to talk about. How about you? Um, yeah, I suppose if I have to explain the fall to someone who's, who knows nothing about them, it's, it's more, I mean, it's more of a, an art project than a rock band, mm. obviously. It's, um, so it, the things that, have, that inspired me when I first, when I first heard them and first got into them were like, the subject matter, and there's like there's no love songs. There is the occasional love song, but not very many. 
um, and the artwork, uh, the typography on the artwork. It's all kind of the details. I think that's one of the reasons that we wanted the book to be you know, written around the fall rather than written about the fall. A bit like the way, I mean, I suppose, personally, the way I'm into like, non-league football has little to do with football and everything to do with the trappings of non-league football, the grounds or the programmes or getting a bovel at half-time or hearing people say crazy things on the terraces. And, yeah, Marky Smith was uh, was quite taken with non-league football as well probably for similar reasons i guess so it's uh, yes it's, it's kind of like the you don't really you don't really talk about the falls music otherwise it would just, just you end up describing as a sort of scratchy indie group it, it wouldn't sound very hard to like get people that excited by just talking about what the music sounds like and also obviously it changes hugely over time as well so i think one of the things that i i've kind of come to realize that i really value about the fall as a sort of musical project is how it's necessarily like iterative you know the whole point is that it kind of changes and that it evolves and you know sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad and you know sometimes it's the best gig you've ever seen in your life and sometimes it's the worst and that's absolutely the point it's a whole and now that that it's over I suppose we um you can sort of look back on that as as a sort of body of work and and it was also great fun you know it was like definitely some of the like the most fun live act I've ever seen. I want to talk about both of your essays in a little detail in this book. Both of your essays really spoke to me a lot about my life and and how I how I you know my education and my background and also how I approach you know this very project that we're talking on now. And Bob, your your essay is on the idea of uh, the fall and amateurism, amateurism in the you know in the in the very best, the sort of old fashioned sense. Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's about it's about amateurism. Um, I think one thing that Mark Smith always had in mind. I mean, obviously, I don't want to say I, I knew what he was thinking, but it, I think it was uh, that he never wanted the group to be too professional or professional full stop because um, the, the the amount of like band members that changed or the amount of times he got band members to change instrument or so they started playing something they could barely play. Suggested that he didn't really. He, he never wanted to be comfortable. He always wanted everything to be like on the edge of shifting into something else. And that, to me, kind of goes hand in hand with the the artwork and uh, the, the way it was never it was never glossy, obviously. So yeah, the essay I wrote was about amateurism, about quite a lot about football. I started talking about Shaking Stevens at one point as being somebody who was like a, an amateur rock and roll enthusiast and performer for like more than ten years before um, he signed to Epic and made a glossy record and then suddenly became this cuddly pop star. And I was, I was kind of like using him as like an example of exactly the, the opposite of what Mark Smith would have wanted. And also the fact that both caused the cover of Jungle Rock. So uh, that was quite a nice, nice tie in there. But yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that's, that's basically what I wanted to get across. It's like, you, you can do whatever you want. If you, if you, if you don't, if you're not a professional, if you're an amateur, uh, and, I, and I think of, you know, I certainly think of myself as an amateur and, and St. Etienne's amateurs. You, you, you're not tied to anything. You're not beholden to anyone. You don't have, have to like obey certain rules or, you know, that professionals would or um, or do a six month tour of America to try and break America because you're signed to um, Universal. You know, it's like none, none of that counts. You can you can do what you want. So it's quite liberating. And um, I just wanted to, you'd say something more about, you know, the idea, as you said, about one thing The Fall is famous for is the you know, sheer number of band members. And I think it's like sort of commonly held thought that, you know, a lot of that was down to Marky e. Smith's sort of irascible nature. But I love this idea of him breaking the band up to stop the band becoming too professional. Yeah, I think that happened quite quite often. Um, I'm now obviously trying to remember out of the sort of 
60 odd band members who he did that with but it was um, someone who was a keyboard player I think and he got him to play bass after like three albums with him as a keyboard player but um, yeah and obviously like sometimes you know the band would like rebel and leave him that happened a couple of times uh, and then he'd have to like build it up from scratch again like really early on on like Total's Turns I think it is a live album he's on stage he says stop improvising for God's sake uh, to someone Mark Riley I think or maybe Steve Hanley it didn't want anything to get too slick, and I think that's um, that's yeah, that's that's something I can absolutely relate to, and one of the reasons I, they were not the most obvious influence on St Etienne, but like a, a strong influence on um, how we operate. And something you talk about being an influence on Mark and, and his writing is the Kenny Everett compilation of the world's worst records. That was uh, a compilation that came out in the late seventies from Kenny Everett's radio show, where he had like a spot every week where somebody would nominate the worst record ever made. And that had, oh, I'm trying to think how many songs The Fall ends up covering on it, but clearly it was definitely in Mark's record collection because there's, there's a photo of it somewhere, I think. Maybe it was in Q, I think. Um, yeah. I think there was a feature Vox, in his record maybe, collection. Vox, it was Vox, that's right, yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm Going to Spain by Steve Bent was on that. and um, Which a lot of people didn't realise was a cover, so convincing is The Fool's version of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, Paralyzed by legendary Stardust Cowboy. I think they might have done at some point. But um, oh no, yeah, sorry, yeah, Transfusion as well. Nervous Norbus. So it's, it's it's actually. I mean, it's it's not the the greatest record ever made, but it's um, it's kind of like it's it's definitely sort of anti anti pop in a way. Um, yeah, it's it's almost famously not the worst music ever. There's some really no great no. Stuff on there. <laughs> it's anti canon, I suppose. It's anti canon. <laughs> I mean, Legendary Stardust Cowboy is meant to be an influence on Ziggy Stardust. I think when David Bowie was signed to Mercury in the States, he was like, they were label mates. So he obviously like, ended up getting these records, bringing them back to Britain and going, listen to this guy, he's nuts. So, uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that was um, clearly, yeah, clearly an influence on them, along with a lot of uh, kraut rock and rockabilly. I think they're sort of kind of prime sources for material. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready get 30, ready get 20 20, 20 ready get 20 20, ready get 15 15, 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Tessa Norton and Bob Stanley about their edited book, Excavate, The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall. And Tessa, if we could move on to your essay, which is called Paperback Shamanism, and you talk about Mark's autodidacticism and, and his class background and the idea of the world of the fall as a sort of alternative curriculum for its fans. That's very much the... I think that kind of touches on why I wanted to approach the book in the way that we have to begin with. But I felt very strongly that often Mark's work and legacy is really done a disservice by this sort of caricature of him as, you know, grumpy and irascible and, you know, shouting at everyone. And when you actually try and kind of talk about kind of what makes the fool special, I think it's so much more than that. And the way that he taught himself about such a kind of breadth of subjects and was like a really active conductor of his own references and and sort of worldview kind of long after he sort of like left kind of school or conventional work and you know this is stuff that you you, know, you don't learn about at school necessarily and how that he managed to kind of then transmit that outwards into this kind of uh yeah like an alternative curriculum that we all picked up on at like a very impressionable young age kind of everyone's listening to John Peel under their duvet when you're like 13 or something and like that you know that stuff kind of stays with you with you for life but it's although I don't think this was kind of like the deliberate aim of his project it it just seemed to me that there were so many kind of sort of idealistic art and counterculture projects particularly in kind of the mid 20th century where people have kind of tried to do that in a sort of fairly formalised way. You know, there's things like Trocky Spontaneous University and the Anti-University of London and stuff like that with like varying degrees of, of success. And what The Fall kind of produced almost as like a byproduct of just their extraordinary productivity was like the best version of one of those. And, you know, it's brought as kind of like all this stuff and it's kind of created the conditions where this book 
can have two massive essays about kind of like horror and speculative fiction by Mark Fisher and Mark Sinker at the centre of it. And we all get that, right? We get that that's kind of central to to the fool's world. And, you know, so, yeah, it definitely feels like, for me anyway, it's it's really functioned as, as an education. And I'm constantly coming across things in just everyday life that, you know, you'll, you'll sort of like notice and you're like, oh God, that's just like, you know, there'll, there'll be like a tiny reference in a full song or something. And, you know, you just see some signage and Nelson Market or, you know, <laughs> read a book or, you know, about some kind of like obscure political pact or something. And you're like, oh, right, okay, I get what that is now. And, you know, there's, there's just kind of constant kind of like references to uncover over the course of your life. And I wanted to move us on to Mark Fisher's essay, the late Mark Fisher's essay of, on the fall's pulp modernism. <laughs> and he, he talks, as you said, about horror in, in the fall's work and M.R. James and, and H.P. Lovecraft, but also the sort of influence of like, you know, T.S. Eliot and um, another man that, that appears in a, a lot of times throughout the book, Wyndham Lewis. Yeah, tell us something about this essay. So most of the essays in the book are new commissions. There are a few reprints as well that we felt the book wouldn't be complete without. Mark Fisher's essay is probably the best known of those. You know, it's appeared in, in his collections as well as, as on K-Punk and it's, you know, it's a classic. It also really kind of exemplified kind of the way we wanted to talk about the fall and I think gave us all something to kind of aspire to and to reach for, you know, to, to take a different approach to kind of maybe how, how a sort of music press led way of talking about them you know, would be. We wanted to to try something different, I suppose, that kind of talked about that that sort of expansiveness and didn't, you know, wasn't reductive or kind of like didn't dumb it down or reduce Mark to kind of caricature or, or anything like that. So it's um yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's one of my favourite pieces of writing on the group and it's amazing that we were able to include it. Bob, you mentioned early on about collating the artworks and the ephemera in the book and, you know, how most of it came from places in and around Manchester. And there are a number of essays in the book that touch on the fall and Marky Smith's relationship with the North. Tell us something about that relationship. Yeah, I mean, I think there's uh, there's obviously a lot of references in the lyrics, in his lyrics to places like Accrington, Haslington, uh, the Wakefield Young Drinkers Club, which I think was was a real thing that he was a member of. Yeah, I think it's um, he, he did that at a time when uh, I suppose you know Factory was a huge. You know that was kind of the, the voice of alternative Manchester when I, when I first got into the fall. Anyway, uh, Factory was um, what everyone thought of when they thought of um, Manchester and music. And but he was like yeah, referencing these like really pretty unfashionable places that like certainly because I was, I was living in Croydon, I wasn't aware of. I knew I'd never been there. I've been to some of them now, but and I remember like reading an interview where he was talking about uh, how much he liked Blackburn because um, it hadn't been cleaned up, and how much he hated Bolton because it had been sort of all scrubbed clean. Which is funny because when he goes to both now, there isn't really very much difference between them. And Bolton's maybe been wrecked more than Blackburn has, but I don't think he was particularly fond of um, northern towns. He, he just he just wrote about them, and he was like Dan Fox's essays about the false relationship with America because I think uh, you know, again being a contrarian, he was like he was very pro-American in the kind of Thatcher-Reagan era, um, and said how much he liked Americans, and obviously he ended up marrying one. That was really interesting. It's, it's kind of like the places he liked or places he wanted to write about were definitely not not obvious. I mean, nothing about them was obvious, but uh, I can't think of anybody else who's written a song about that involves, uh, that mentions Accrington anyway. Maybe Half Man, Half Biscuit, I don't know. 
And Tessa, we've mentioned obviously that you know over the years the fall had it's not just Marky Smith, there was you know 60 plus other band members, quite a lot of which were women, obviously Brick Smith being the, the most prominent one, but you know, lots of others. And how important are the women in the group to the overall fall project, do you think? Very much so. I mean, I think we all that we talk obviously amongst as we're talking now and a lot of the essays marks things that you know have, are sparked by by mark's lyrics are often the focus but i i think the fact that it was there were so many people involved and yeah like you say more women than people might realize maybe if they're just kind of casually familiar with we all know about bricks but but yeah the work that you know other female members have done was um was hugely important and you, know, you i think you see through a lot of the ephemera that we've collected how like Kay carroll was really instrumental in kind of like forming you know what became that voice really early on and um, we've also included an extract of a fairly recent comic book called I'll Be Your Mirror which is um about Univanes and yeah. um when you know the page the extract we've included is kind of about kind of her, her sort of meeting mark which kind of goes some way to like kind of make that relationship a little accessible without kind of giving too much away in an interesting way and also just you know you know later on going you know through the fan club you know you see kind of like say like Saffron Pryor's voice coming through and you know there's, there's often kind of you know it's, it's not just the Mark show all the way through it's it you know it's definitely it's a, a ship that he was you know often kind of steering but you know they had, there were so many other voices in there and a lot of them female. I think it's you know I think because people do think of the their fan base being almost entirely male and they think they think of them as very you know people think mm. it's a very male group and the whole sort of beer and fags stuff but yeah, I mean, there's like you know, Julian Nagel was really important in the kind of mid to late 90s in steering the group. I think when, when Mark was having a few problems, I suppose, and the, the band was kind of disintegrating around him. Um, and at one point, I think they lasted about three gigs, but there was like a, there was like a, he was, it was an all, an all female band plus Mark. I think they just like lasted for like three gigs. And they played at Reading, I think, but um, I didn't see, I didn't see any of those gigs. So that's, that's a kind of, fascinating idea and that, that was pretty sure it was Julian Nagel's idea or it was she certainly like gave him some direction then uh, and then that band just fell apart quite quickly and it became uh, all male again but yeah it's 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 something that doesn't really get uh, get discussed much but I mean, he's got three sisters three younger sisters so I think he must have grown up with a obviously grew up with a lot of women around him so um, that's uh it's quite fascinating. He didn't ever seem to be without a girlfriend either. That's something else. It's like looking through the story. Um, he kind of like jumped from one relationship to another very quickly. I think we um, were quite kind of um, sort of conscious, I suppose, of the way that, you know, yeah, the, the reputation of the sort of typical fool fan is, is quite male and it's seen as quite a male-dominated world. But I don't particularly get that from, from the work. That's kind of... Uh, much more kind of related, I suppose. So, you know the, the media sort of, yeah, the media perception, the mythology that's sort of, that's grown up around them. You know, we wanted um, to you know to make sure that we, that, you know, the essays sort of weren't all male dominated. But that just that wasn't hard to do. You know, some of the first kind of full fans that we we thought of were women, and we wanted there were all the writers to kind of be able to draw on their own kind of expertise and their own kind of fields of knowledge as well. So to kind of have that sort of breadth of voices in there it's quite important to us just to finish off then and and again I'll ask, I'll ask both of you this but I remember back to to when Mark died and and you know there seemed to be 
if it's the right word, a surprising outpouring in the number of people who came out as as Fall fans. And as we've discussed, over the career of the band, you know, Mark was very keen to never professionalise. And while the, the band's project chopped and changed and waxed and waned over the years, it never had a sort of an obvious getting better and better and better trajectory but obviously mark himself his his character through just through sheer longevity over the years gradually achieved that dreaded national treasure status and i, and I wanted you to speculate on what he would have thought of that it had already happened i suppose before he died he got the he got the enemy uh, award for whatever godlike genius we actually had a a script for him to collect a Mojo Award for something similar, yeah. uh, which didn't make it into the book. But it was it was quite funny because it was <laughs> it was just like written it was written for for the person who's going to be introducing him with these gaps for like where Mark was going to go. Thank you very much, blah blah blah. And they kind of like sort of assumed he was going to do this, and they'd like written down what they assumed he was going to say very loosely. It's like he wouldn't have done that. <laughs> he probably never even showed up. No, no, of course he'd have, he'd have hated it because. Uh, it's, it's, you know, he, he didn't want to be pinned down. He didn't want to be pinned down. You know, most people don't, you know, but he probably wanted it less than anyone. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the group did the work with Michael Clark and um, Hey Luciani, the, the play, that's kind of, that's, you know, that stuff's really interesting because uh, it was just doing the absolute opposite of what diehard Fall fans would expect him to do. So, like, no one, no one could read what he was going to do next. And I think that's what he, he, um, he worked hard at being that uh, unreadable, I think. And it clearly works. I mean, because even the, the stuff that we very much wanted this book to be sort of corrective to, you know, that sense that he was just a, you know, crazy guy reading the football results and must have written Hey Luciani by accident or something, you know, which is clearly not true. You know, this is a very kind of very sort of deliberate, considered, wide ranging art project that spans 40 years. You know, this is, you know, none of this is accidental there's as much in his work to kind of pour over as any lyricist of the 20th century the way that he was I suppose often kind of mischaracterized is probably just a sign that that kind of slight unreadability or like illegibility with his character worked so it's a it's a disguise you can kind of slip into I suppose like Columbo <laughs> So I've been talking to Tessa Norton and Bob Stanley. We've been talking about their new book, Excavate, The Wonderful and Frightening World of the Fall, which is out now from Faber. Tessa and Bob, thank you so much for taking the time to share it with me. Thanks. Oh, Cheers. Thanks for thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.